Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is the woman who wears many hats, as she is an author, a reporter, a philanthropist, and businesswoman. She is a leader and visionary in the world of sports media, distinguishing herself in her business as both an on-air talent and owner of sports radio and television properties. She is a golf and tennis correspondent for WFAN Radio and CBS Sports Radio Network, covering the majors including the Masters, U.S. Open Golf, PGA Championships, Ryder Cup, and the U.S. Open Tennis Championships. 30 years ago this past Saturday, she was the first woman to host a call-in sports show on the legendary New York metropolitan area radio station WFAN, where she co-hosted, where she hosted a five-hour weekly call-in sports show, which she continued to do for 21 years. She's also the host, executive producer, and owner of Sports Interview, which happens to be the longest-running cable sports show owned, hosted, and produced by a woman. We actually could spend an entire show just doing the intro on her, so we'll stop it there. And it is an absolute pleasure to welcome the one and only Anne Ligori to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Anne. Well, what a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for that uh, wonderful intro. It's our pleasure. You know, it's interesting because over the 10 or 11 years that AJ and I have done this, we've had many women sportscasters on the show. And there's a, a kind of an underlying theme because you earned varsity letters in volleyball, basketball, track, and tennis, and you played um, on the boys' tennis team your senior year. Um, <laughs> much like Linda Cohn also played on, um, on the college boys' hockey team, you played on the, the boys' team in high school. So do you think that that experience, playing on a boys' team in high school, prepared you for being in a field where it's primarily dominated by men, and there are very few women in the field. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I had an older brother, um, only a year and a half older than me, and, and our yard was the yard where everybody would come in after school, and we would do sports. And I was normally, uh, you know, the only girl. I mean, we, there were a lot of other girls in the in the neighborhood who, who were athletic, actually. Um, but you know, they would pick me first. I was uh, the fastest runner back then. It was just, you know, we played kickball, baseball, football, um, you name it. You know, it, we just had a big yard, and that's where all the kids gathered after school. And then uh, once I got into high school, um, I was able to play on varsity sports. I mean, honestly, I was so athletically gifted when I was a kid. And then when I got to junior high, there were actually no sports programs for girls, and I was devastated. They just didn't have it. I mean, I feel like it was, like, you know, a long time ago, but it was. I grew up in a small town in Ohio, and uh, the school was at very good academically. And, and then, you know, Title IX was passed, and so by my freshman year in high school, you know, the public-funded institutions were required to offer the same opportunities um, in sports for girls as they did for guys. Uh, however, we didn't have a, a girls' tennis team, so I, I competed on the guys' team all four years in high school and played number one singles when I was a senior. So, But all those experiences, competing with and against guys, um, I think really, you know, I, I was just used to it. It didn't seem odd to me. And then years later when I got into golf and, you know, I just, you know, you always, I, I would go be the only woman invited to these celebrity <laughs> 
golf tournaments mm-hmm. and these charity tournaments. And I just, you know, found it odd that I was the only woman, but it didn't bother me at all. I just fit in so well. So, and of course, you know, just being in, in the business world, I mean, learning sports and com- the, the, everything that sports teaches you as a youngster, you know, how to compete, how to win, how to lose, how to be a good sport, how to try your best, how to uh, manage your time and, and train and prepare, all of those things I learned as a kid, as an athlete. And so, you know, I took all this with me um, to do what I'm doing now. So, yeah, I, I mean, playing sports overall was, was crucial for my development um, as an athlete, businesswoman, and broadcaster. And then, obviously, competing with and against guys at a young age, I mean, that just made it easy for me, you know, to accept doing it. I, I think other girls, uh, you know, weren't doing that. And um, when you got into the golf, when I got more into golf and everything was really segregated, girls, you know, women played with women and guys played with guys. I, that, that seemed a little odd to me, <laughs> quite frankly, because I was so used to playing with men. And I still do. I, I, I love competing with and against guys on the golf course and on the tennis court. And, um, you know, my, my significant other, he's uh, a great athlete, and, you know, we spend a lot of time just doing things together in competition, whether it's golf or, or cycling or, or whatever. I, I just find it very normal to, to do sports with, with guys, though. So. <laughs> you, know, you mentioned that you grew up in Ohio, and a fixture of TV in the area also had a major impact in your life. you tell us about Ruth Lyons? Because here, you know, in New York, it's a person that we might not have ever heard of, but she had a major impact on your life, correct? Well, I was born in Cincinnati and then uh, moved to uh, Brecksville outside of Cleveland when I was eight years old. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah, I was, I, I'm a, you know, Ohio girl. And uh, I just, when I was, gosh, three years old, and who, rem- who knows what they want to do when they're three years old, but I, my mother must have had me in a high chair watching this uh, woman hosting a TV show. Her name uh, was Ruth Lyons, and she was a true pioneer in the uh, talk show genre. She was also a very accomplished uh, musician and, and piano player and, and singer, and, and so she would do a little bit of entertaining, play the piano and, and sing, in addition to interviewing the most fascinating personalities that came through Cincinnati. Um, and I just remembered seeing that. So, you know, it's amazing what influence people can have on uh, toddlers, right? Um, You know, I just was influenced by that my whole life. And I can, that's my earliest memory of knowing exactly what I wanted to do at a very early age. And and then I was always very athletic. So I, uh, I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster. I knew I wanted to be a talk show host. I knew I wanted to be a reporter and a producer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But my uh, athletic ability um, basically developed um, from a very early age. So um, didn't really know if I could get into sports broadcasting because there were so few women back then doing it. But when I got to the University of South Florida in Tampa, Gail Saren was actually a sports anchor on the NBC affiliate in Tampa. And voila, here I was, you know, a student at USF, and I could see uh, actually a woman um, anchoring the sports on the local broadcast. So she had a tremendous influence um, on me, just basically showing me that, yeah, there were, were women out there who were, who were doing sports on TV. I mean, she was 
you know, it was very rare back then uh, doing sports, anchoring sports. But um, it was good to see when I was in college, and, and that also formed uh, the path that I chose to take into sports broadcasting. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned Gail because, you know, what I find incredible about Gail is that if you went out on the streets of New York or, or even at, uh, you know, any you know, sports bar on a Sunday afternoon when the NFL is there and you went up to a thousand football fans, I bet you I could probably count on, on, on one hand how many of them know that in 1987, I believe it was, she was the first woman to do play-by-play -play for an NFL regular season game she, uh, she called between the, the Seahawks and the, the Chiefs. It took 30 years until another woman would do play-by-play -play when Beth Mowens was the announcer on ESPN's Monday Night Football opening week last year, the late game, uh, the, the Chargers and Broncos. Mm. I mean, that's 30 years we've had two women do play-by-play -play for an NFL game. What does that say about the industry, and are you shocked that, you know, with all the strides that women have made in the sports field, that they really have not made headway in the play-by-play -play game in, in the four majors? Uh, you know, I'm not really shocked. Um, you know, the business is run by guys, uh, and guys hire guys for the most part. Um, I have noticed through my years that when I was working and and the person who was making the hiring decisions and the and the other production decisions, et cetera, et cetera, had daughters. Uh, he um, was more apt to, you know, give me a chance. Um, you know, for for years I've been working for for guys who are, you know, are running the show, and um, that's basically why I became uh, independent announcer and broadcaster because. Uh, I basically years ago was was almost forced into the freelance route because I when I started in New York City right out of college I earned a fellowship that brought me to New York City with the International Radio and TV Society and um, you know I I was trying to get work and getting a lot of freelance assignments and but it was hard I mean there weren't really women in sports doing. Uh, the, the, the jobs that I wanted to do. And I knew I needed to get the experience, so I paid my dues, worked my way up. And, you know, I basically thought the only way I could really get the kind of show, the sports interview show that I wanted to do, uh, was to go just to put it together myself. Uh, because, you know, people weren't hiring. A woman at MSG Network in the programming department had heard me on ABC Radio Sports Network and then heard me on WFAN, and, uh, you know, we, we became friendly, and she said, look, I love your work. You do a great job. I read your byline in USA Today sports pages. I hear you on WFAN. I heard you on ABC Sports Radio Network. She said, we can give you a time slot on MSG Network every week, but we can't pay you. So I thought, wow. hmm. I was in, you know, my mid-20s at the time. I thought, I'm going to make this work. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this is what they offer everybody. I had no idea that it was so unique to, you know, to have somebody say that, that, yes, we love your work, we can offer you a time slot, but we can't pay you. So I basically just went out and put the whole show together myself and got, went out and got sponsors and, and made it happen and created my own opportunities. And, uh, you know, so to answer your question, no, it doesn't surprise me that, uh, you know, there aren't more women doing play-by-play. -play. I mean, there, there, there are here and there, you know, that we've made some progress, but it's really the people that are 
hiring, um, you know, pick. They 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 don't like to take a chance, and I think they feel that hiring a female really is taking a, a chance, and uh, it, it might be a risky move. Perhaps that's what they think. I don't know. But I've been independent my, most of my career. I've been my own boss. I own my own production company, and I go out and bring in my own, you know, revenue and sponsors. And, and not everybody can do it, but it's worked for me, and, uh, you know, it worked out so well that I just continued to do it throughout my career. And, and uh, that was my journey and my adventure, and I'm sticking to it. But, you know, I don't recommend it for everybody, but it's basically how I had to start because – there weren't women in sports broadcasting doing the things that I wanted to do back in the late 80s, early 90s. And as you mentioned, you know, it's still tough. So um, I highly recommend taking the independent route if you can <laughs> to, to accomplish your dreams. You're only limited by your own imagination. We're talking with Ann Ligari, one of the nation's top sports radio and television personalities. AJ? So to follow up a little bit, AJ Carter, and so you take a look at what's happening now. ESPN, I guess, is they have Doris Burke, who's called NBA games and a lot of college games, and I think she's called college football. Right. And who else do they have on the MLB? Jessica Mendoza. Jessica Mendoza and that. <clears throat> so when you look tonight. at that, I guess... The option back then, when you were starting on trying to build this, was to be a sideline reporter at the NFL games. That was the, the, the pigeonhole for women. That I have, or, or some studio host. Some Don't studio forget host. Phyllis George right. back in the so day. So I, I guess that, that held no, didn't entice you at all. What was, what was the, the, the negative to trying to follow that route and be a sideline reporter as opposed to doing what you've done, which is really create your own thing and move ahead in the business this way? wanted to interview. I mean, interviewing was my passion, getting to know what make people tick and people's success stories and their inspirational stories and what they had to overcome, you know, to accomplish greatness. That has always driven me. And so, you know, there just weren't people out there hiring women to host shows like that, interview shows. And um, I guess, I don't know, if I'm a bit of a control freak or what, I guess, you know, you almost have to be to run your own business. But I, uh, you know, wanted to interview the people I wanted to interview. And they were all superstars and they were legends. Yeah. And not all, but, you know, I, I, you know, for the sports interview show. And so I basically decided, look, if I can go out and bring in my own sponsors, I'm going to do it. Because that's, A, it's very lucrative if you can do it that way. And, B, it's your own production. And you're your own boss, and you're on your own schedule. And sure, you have to hustle, and, and it's difficult. But I interviewed everybody from Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams, Jim Brown, Hank Aaron, Billie Jean King, Annika. I mean, you know, I have hundreds of these interviews, shows now that I own the rights to. It's a treasure test of content, and I'm so proud. That's really my legacy, the sports interview television show. Um, well, it aired, you know, for over 17 years on regional sports cable networks throughout the country, and, and I license the footage now and the interviews, and there, it really is an invaluable archive with all these legends really talking about their stories and, and how they overcame to, to, to reach greatness. So I pretty much, you know, did it my way. Uh, I didn't really want to go the agent route and then, you know, work your way up in the market. I basically... Uh, loved New York, came right to the Big Apple out of college, and and uh, kind of hit the ground running. So, um, and look, it's a everybody has their own path. You know, they have their own strategies, and 
Um, it worked for me. I, I had to, it, you know, I was kind of, it was the only way I could really get on television and do what I wanted to do with the sports talk show host role that I always envisioned for myself. Um, a sideline reporter, that's a tough, that's a tough task. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, most women are doing that. I didn't want to be most women. I'm not most women. <laughs> you know, I just, I really wanted to carve out my own niche, and I, and I think I've done that. And, um, but, look, all due respect for sideline reporters, you don't have much time, and you have to really, you know, bust your butt to get the information and to, and to do the reporting, and then keep it in a, in a very short, present it in a very short period of time. Uh, and you never know when they're going to come to you, and you have to be ready when they do. And, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, position. Uh, it was one that I was never interested in. Um, I was always interested in doing exactly what I'm doing now, and I'm, I'm very grateful and blessed to have, you know, had the opportunities and, that I've had and to have created a lot of them at a time when women really weren't doing, doing them. And there's still very few women who really own and host their own sports shows. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you know better than I do, but I enjoy, you know, the, that niche and, and um, you know, how unique that, that, that particular part of my career has been. So it's been fun. You know, it's interesting because AJ and I love the long-form interview. That, that's, we, that's what we do here. We right. usually have two guests right. within the show. We, and, we don't you know, really take calls. We don't take calls rarely. because we, we, like you, like the interview. So, and, and you mentioned just a few of the people that you've done you know, interviews with over the years on, on Sports Interview. Um, your very first guest was Mickey Mantle. So you know, right out of the box, you kind of set the, the uh, bar pretty high. But over the years, you, you mentioned Will Chamberlain, Sugar Ray Leonard, Carl Lewis, Frank Shorter, Nadia Comaneci, Katarina Witt. Gail Sayers, Arnold Palmer, Wayne Gretzky, Kevin Cosner, Charles Schultz, Rudy Giuliani, Alice Cooper, Don Knotts, Nancy Lopez, Dale Earnhardt, Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> and, and Archer did, did, did you ever do Jackie Mason have as bad an experience yeah, as we yeah, had? He was our worst, Jackie Mason. But who was the one interview of all the shows that you did that, you know, to this day still stands out? Like at the end when the cameras were turned off, you went, wow, that was absolutely awesome. Oh, awesome. I thought you were going to say awful. <laughs> um, so, you know, look, Mickey was the very first one, you know, for my TV show that I put together myself from A to Z, you know, got the, my own sponsors, hired the camera crew, and uh, we were at Mickey Mantle's restaurant on Central Park South. Uh, unfortunately, the restaurant's no longer there, but, uh, and the Mick, I knew Bill Lederman, you know, one of the owners, and, um, he was very good to me. He said, listen, um, if you want to interview Mick for this TV show, uh, I'll see if he will do it. And, you know, Mickey, I would go in there a lot, and Mickey was always very personable. And, you know, he'd sign autographs for people. And, um, you know, it was always, you know, um, this is, I got him in, what, 1989. So this was much later in his life, and he, uh, he was there a lot. And so, I, you know, I would talk to him, and I'd see it. I'd also see a lot of these celebrities at these golf tournaments. And so knowing, being a good golfer really opened a lot of doors for me because I got invitations to play in a lot of these celebrity golf tournaments. And that's where, you, you know, I met a lot of these personalities who, were, who played in a lot of these tournaments. But, um, yeah, I would say Mickey was very special because it was the first show that I did in the, in the long-running sports interview series. And, you know, he was just such a great storyteller 
and just so he got very sentimental and you know he kind of teared up when he talked about you know losing his dad to Hodgkin's and at the time his one of his sons had Hodgkin's and he later passed with the disease but um, you know at the time he was still alive and he, he was tearing up talking about him and we we covered all kinds of subjects from his baseball career to his personal life to his family life and you know he talked about Roger Maris and how everybody perceived them to be enemies because they were going for the same records in Yankee history and yet they were best friends and he pulled a ball out out of the wall in a case and it was a ball that Roger had signed for Mickey and it said to Mick my best friend Roger and you know he started crying when he's telling me these stories so I mean it was a very memorable, very incredible first interview show. And then the Ted Williams show sticks out a lot. Um, just getting him to do an interview was ridiculously difficult. I was playing Black Diamond at golf course in, in um, Florida, north of Orlando, and had uh, discovered that the Ted Williams Museum was near, nearby. And... Uh, a friend of mine knew his son, uh, Ted Williams' son, John Henry, and he said he knew where John Henry's house was. So I basically <laughs> went to John Henry's house, knocked on the door. His wife answered. I introduced myself, and I said, could you please give my business card to John Henry and, and tell him that I would love to interview his dad someday? And lo and behold, John Henry called me back a couple of days later and arranged it for me. And it was uh, during the All-Star Game in Boston when, when Ted Williams came back to Boston. And uh, I don't know if you guys are probably too young to remember that, but Mm-mm. he wrote on a, no, a we, golf cart. Yeah, we remember. We're, we're older than you think. <laughs> yeah, we're much older than it, you think. <laughs> yeah, drove around Fenway, and uh, I interviewed him that morning. And John Henry said, listen, if you can have your camera crew set up, at 11 o'clock, my dad uh, will have just gone up from his nap. You know, Ted was ailing at that point. He had had some heart issues. And John Henry had reunited with his father because they were estranged for many years. And um, so John Henry was really taking care of his dad. And he said, listen, if you can come at 11 o'clock, have your camera crew set up, he'll be just up from the nap, his nap and as sharp as can be. And sure enough, I got... 45 minutes of incredible material with Ted Williams, uh, who was just a baseball genius. And John Henry was part of that interview. John Henry sat in on the interview in the third segment of the show, and it was the first time that they had ever done an interview together. So it was, there were a lot of, you know, there was a lot of history made with the sports interview show, and I'm very proud of the whole series that, as I said, aired for 17 years. And to, to name one show that just really sticks out is tough because I, I have over, you know, 500 of them from that one series. So, yeah, and, every, and every show has stories behind, behind the stories, you know. So it's fun to tell them. Absolutely. Me about them. Absolutely. It's amazing. And I, I'm just very glad that you didn't put Don Knotts at the top of the list. Yeah. I, the Amazing Mr. Limpet was a great movie and Mayberry no. RP, but he doesn't hold the candle to Ted and Mick. Yeah. Um, we don't have that much time, right. so I'm going to turn it over because okay. AJ so, is the well, golf I, I, guy I, I, here. Actually, you're going to help me here, Andy. <laughs> For years, I've been trying to convince nah. Mark to start following golf, to watch a little bit of golf on television. And I've said if you do that, there are two things you should watch first as a start. 
One is the British Open, which is coming up, because just the weather is so weird, makes it interesting. And the other is the Ryder Cup. So help tell, tell us what you think, what I should tell Mark, why he should start following golf. <laughs> well, I think you should go out and just start hitting some balls, first off, because you'll have a lot of fun. It's really challenging. It's the hardest. Only if I can hit him at AJ. <laughs> <laughs> well. you, you have to go out and just torture yourself and try to, try to learn the game, right? Um, look, it's a, it's a great game, and it's, a, it's a, the hardest game mentally as well. And you really, in order to really appreciate it, I think you have to really go and learn it and, and start playing it yourself. Um, sure, that you know, these guys, the Open Championships are on these incredible links courses. I just got back from Ireland, and you'd mentioned the weather. I mean, yeah. we had, they've had a drought in Ireland. They normally get four seasons a day. You're used to all kinds of crazy weather, you know, wind and rain and all kinds of con- crazy conditions. But lately, um, it's been really uh, dry. And uh, so these links courses have become very dried out and very hard. So the ball rolls for forever. And that might be what happens, uh, you know, at the Open Championship at Carnoustie in a couple yeah. weeks. But, um, you know, I just think for you to really enjoy watching golf on television and watching the best players in the game, I think you really have to go and just take some lessons and, and, and learn it. And I think you'll really enjoy it. Give yourself a, you know, some time to really um, appreciate the game and, and learn the game, and you'll, you'll find that it's the ultimate challenge. And I think you'll really in, you know, want to play more. See, I have a spare set of clubs, Mark. You can, I, 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 I've you golfed. Should, so. I mean, they, I, it's, it's too passive. I, they, I don't, I, it's, I, it's more than you think. Anyway, one, one other thing I found unusual, and this is the U.S. Open, and this is satellite radio. And I didn't watch a lot of it on TV. I did, however, listen to it in my car. And play-by-play golf on the radio is sort of very unusual. Have you listened to any of that? What do you think about play-by-play golf on the radio? You know, I listen to it all the time. I know the guys. They're very mm. good at what they do. It's very hard, as you can imagine. Yeah. And I'm, I love it. I am intrigued by it. But I love golf, and I'm very passionate about the sport, and I want to keep up with it. So I'm in my car, as probably you are a lot. Yeah. And I have the PJ Tour radio network on Sirius on a lot. And, uh, you know, to make it sound entertaining and, um, and to make it sound different and, and to, you know, you have to kind of whisper because they're so close right. to the, you know, the greens and the, and the holes. It's really, to mm-hmm. me, it's really fascinating. And I think those guys do a great job with the play-by-play. I know them all. I see them at the majors. And, you know, I cover the majors and do updates um, every half hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the top of the hour for WFAN radio and at the bottom for CBS Sports Radio Network. So I'm into it. And I just think, uh, you know, I think you have to like golf, obviously, to appreciate listening yeah. to the play-by-play on the radio. And, and it's hard to do well, but these guys yeah. do a great job. So how did you get out to the Hamptons? And let's talk a little bit about how you started the Anne LaGuardia Foundation. Oh, well, um, years ago, um, the American Cancer Society asked me if I would host a golf tournament, a celebrity golf tournament at the West Hampton Country Club. And I was actually working with, uh, at, you know, doing a lot of charity. Uh, other, I was playing in a lot of charity tournaments, getting invited to play in a lot of charity golf tournaments. And I actually was hosting one with Ralph Branca and Joe Pignatano uh, for BAT, the baseball assistance team, and the Leukemia Society of America. So I was, you know, experienced kind of running these tournaments and and playing them, certainly. Um, you know, I lost my dad to cancer when I was a junior in college. And then um, I lost my brother, who I had mentioned earlier, who was my um, sports 
but um, he was only 22 and he died of leukemia. So I was hit hard uh, years ago, within it, like two years of each other, uh, losing my dad and losing my brother. So I always vowed that I would do everything I could to raise money and awareness to fight, um, you know, cancer and leukemia. And so when the American Cancer Society called me and asked me to um, host this tournament, I said, absolutely. Plus, it was in my, in my own backyard. I had had a, I, you know, at the time I was living in the city and had the house in, in West Hampton as my, you know, as, you know, just to go to on the weekends. But I loved it so much in the Hamptons, I ended up moving out to the Hamptons full time. But, um, but, yeah, so the tournament became a, a huge success. And 10 years into it, a friend of mine convinced me to put my own foundation together so we could help a number of not-for-profits and organizations that focus on cancer research and cancer prevention. And so I did. And uh, so that's been going on now. So overall, the tournament is 20 years old, and my foundation is 10 years old. Um, And we're able to help a, a variety of amazing organizations who do great work like St. Jude's. Um, you know, American Cancer Society, East End Hospice. Uh, there's a there's an organization called Kids Need More on Shelter Island, and they do a camp for young people with cancer and their and their siblings. And to see the smile and on their faces, you know, when they go to this camp on Shelter Island, it's just incredible. We go to the, visit the camp every August. So, you know, I'm really proud of the work that we do to raise money uh, for cancer research. And um, you know, I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. Excellent, and people can find more about it on your website. Lastly, before we let you go, we didn't really touch much on tennis, but if you could go into a time machine to watch any round of golf and any tennis match that ever took place, which would it be? Wow, because I've watched so many. (laughs) Um, You know, I enjoyed the years when uh, Tiger Woods was dominating. I covered basically all the majors championships that he won. And so I enjoyed watching how good he was, you know, just mentally and physically. I mean, I'd never seen anybody that dominant for so long. So I would say all the years that he dominated, um, you know, it was, it was so great to, to see that. Um, you know, I kind of, obviously I admire Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus's career, but I, I really wasn't covering the sport back then when, when they were at the prime of their careers. So I would say overall just, you know, those years that Tiger dominated were extraordinary. And then in tennis, you know, Roger Federer, I mean, he's just been incredible. Um, of course, I loved covering Jimmy Connors and Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe. But, I mean, what we have now, we're just very fortunate. I mean, Roger Federer at 36 yeah. years old, he's the defending champion at Wimbledon and Serena at 36 Williams. years old. Right. And, you know, going for another, his ninth Wimbledon title, you know, he's probably going to play Nadal in the finals. So yeah. I just think what we have with those two athletes uh, was and is extraordinary. Tiger in his prime and Roger still going strong at 36. I and think we're, very, we're in a very just amazing period in sports history if you're a golf and tennis fan. Excellent, excellent stuff, and we appreciate it and look forward to you having a very busy month in August. You'll be all over the place between golf and tennis, and we surely will be listening and watching. Thanks so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great job, guys. Anytime. You got it. And LaGuardia.